hub, and spoke. Audio Collective. Hey there, it's Vanessa. There'll be a new episode of Nocturne in your feed next week. But in the meantime, I want to share a story from another podcast that I think you'll really like. The show is called Out There, and it's one of our fellow podcasts in the Hub and Spoke Audio Collective. On the surface, Out There is about the outdoors. But just like the other Hub and Spoke shows, it's so much more than that. Their stories explore what it means to be human, and they use nature as a lens to help make sense of the world. You can find Out There wherever you listen to podcasts and at outtherepodcast.com. This episode is called Moonlight. Hope you enjoy it. I was at the top of this ridge, and I was by myself. The wind was so strong that I thought it would knock me off the cliff. I kept saying to myself, don't look down, don't look down, because I'm really scared of heights. But let's back up. At the time, I was in my mid-20s, and I was going through a quarter-life crisis. I didn't know what kind of work I should do. I was under a lot of debt, and I wasn't sure what I was passionate about. It was an unfulfilled life. I was carrying a lot of shame and disappointment because I couldn't get myself together. I was getting more and more insecure about myself. It was a downward spiral. The one thing that helped was getting outdoors. I found myself drifting into the mountains, forests, and deserts, away from where people crowded, in places where I didn't have to perform. There was one year when I kept my camping gear in the trunk of my car all the time because I was camping so much. Camping and hiking was therapeutic. Hiking was embodied meditation, reflection, and knowledge-seeking. It also seemed to symbolize the obstacles in my life, like struggling and wanting to turn back, measuring to see if I can push myself a little further to pull it off. But one day, that therapeutic practice became something else, something unexpected, something frightening. Packing for an overnight camping trip, and I'm missing a flashlight. My destination was Red Rock Canyon State Park. It's in the desert, an hour away from where I live in Southern California. It was one of those weeks where I felt mentally drained and I just needed a quick getaway. So at the last minute, I packed up the rest of my camping gear and hit the road. When I got to the campground in the afternoon, I was amazed. I hadn't expected it to be this beautiful. I pitched my tent at the foot of these dramatic cliffs. It's like I'm going to camp in between some giant's toes. After setting up my tent, I decided to go for a sunset hike. 
I wanted to stretch my legs before making dinner and take pictures of plants during golden hour. Taking pictures was another meditative activity for me. I looked at my map. There was a short nature trail nearby. It's just what I needed. Gentle and easy. I'm all packed for my little hike. Let's see what this trail is all about. As I hiked, I photographed Toya cacti, the ones that look like prickly teddy bears. There were Joshua trees, yucca plants, and it was a very clear sky. Even the moon was already out. The sandy trail led me up to a viewpoint high above the campground, and the view, oh, the view was spectacular. From the top, I saw a panorama of hoodoos, these tall, thin rock formations that remind me of chess pieces. I saw shallow caves in the cliffs across from where I stood. I had planned to turn back at this point, but I was so curious about this place. It looked mystical. It was also my first time here, and I only had this one night. I wanted to keep exploring. Judging from the map, it looked like there was a trail that would take me down into the canyon in front of me. I could then pick up another trail and loop back to the campground. Easy. I decided to try it, but it didn't take long for me to wonder if this was a good idea. First of all, the trail was very exposed. And remember, I have a fear of heights. Okay. <laughs> so high. Secondly, the terrain was rough. This wasn't an easy nature trail anymore. It was steep, slippery, and rocky. And I wasn't prepared. This is the first time I brought my running shoes, which isn't really for hiking. I didn't bring my hiking boots. But I figured that once I got down to the bottom, it would be okay. It would be worth it. So I took a deep breath and scrambled down, clinging to rocks and loose dirt. I kept slipping. The wind kept trying to blow me off course. But then I finally made it to the bottom. The trail wasn't very clear down here, but I saw footprints and even some tire tracks, so I followed them. By now, the sun had gone down and it was twilight. I could still see, but I knew it would be dark soon. I felt a twinge of fear in my gut saying, maybe I should turn back. But my fear often plays tricks on me tells me not to do things even when they're perfectly safe. So I tried to ignore it. I told myself to focus on the beauty around me and stop worrying. After a while, I came to a group of Joshua trees, clumped together, and it reminded me of a typical family portrait. It felt like they were saying, welcome to this side of the canyon. See, 
there was nothing to be scared of. The canyon was gorgeous in the soft evening light. Looking around, I could see the contours and silhouettes of plants and the hoodoos against the canyon walls and all of the beautiful rock formations. I kept walking and walking and the stars came out. But eventually, the fear came creeping back into my mind. My gut tugged at me like it was saying, Hey, you sure you want to keep going? Again, I tried to ignore it, but it lingered. Oh my gosh, I'm still walking. What the heck? I took out my phone and opened up Google Maps. I didn't have reception in the canyon, but I had downloaded a map of the area ahead of time. It's a precaution I often take when I go hiking somewhere new. I looked at the little blue dot on the map showing me where I was. It looked like I was more than halfway back to the campsite. Okay, I can do this. So I kept walking. But then the path began to get steep and the opposing cliffs got closer to each other. And then they joined together like two hands intertwining their fingers. It was a dead end. I reached out and attempted to climb the rock, but it felt too dangerous. I didn't know how to rock climb. I checked my map and compared it to Google Maps, and that's when I realized that I wasn't where I thought I was. And... Not only that, I was sort of trapped. As panic started to set in, I also felt myself disconnect from my body. Like a scene from a thriller movie where I'm the audience and I'm watching this character struggle at the bottom of this tiny canyon. And then thoughts started crowding my mind. This can't be happening. I should have listened to my gut. Why did I think it was okay to go on this hike alone when it was getting dark? What if there's a creepy person following me this whole time? What if I don't make it back to the campground tonight? I felt so alone. This hike was supposed to be short and easy. But I had already been out for two hours And it was anything but easy. The fear in my gut intensified. By now, it was completely dark. And since I was at this dead end, I had no choice but to turn back. I hoped I'd be able to retrace my steps and get back the way I came. I dug out my headlamp, but it didn't do much to help me orient myself. If anything, it made me more scared. Illogical fears started crowding into my brain, like in those horror films where a monster could pop out of nowhere. I was starting to get paranoid. In the distance, I heard yelping, maybe a pack of coyotes, 
A few minutes later, I heard a noise, like something scuttling in front of me. Could it be a lizard? A mouse? A snake? I shone my headlamp on the canyon floor, trying to see my footsteps so I could follow them back. But I couldn't see them. It was like the sand had swallowed up any trace of where I'd come from. I squinted my eyes, trying to read the cliffs and search for clues. But their shapes looked too similar. I walked and walked but I kept hitting dead ends. I was starting to get tired. I checked Google Maps for hints, but it wasn't much help. As I walked, I started talking out loud. I talked to the ground, the animals I couldn't see, the cliffs, the moon. I asked everything around me, Could you help me find my way, please? Of course, I wasn't expecting any of them to actually say something, but I didn't know what else to do. I just had to tap into my spirituality to keep me grounded in some way. It helped a little, but only for a moment or two. Then the panic would set in again. Finally, I sat on a rock to take a break. I was so nervous I couldn't think straight. All I knew was that I really didn't want to spend the night in this canyon. And then I happened to look up at the moon. It was full. It laid a blanket of soft light over the canyon, just barely enough to see shadows. As I sat there, gazing at the moon, a memory drifted into my mind. Or rather, a story my mother had told me. A story from her childhood. The moonlight, damn. Moonlight, moonlight. Guided by the moonlight. My mom grew up in the Philippines, and when she was nine years old, her mother, my grandmother was offered a job far away from home. And she has to take it even if it's, it's so far from us, even if, if it means she has to be separated from us, from her kids and her husband. She needed to get the job because she has to help support the family. My grandmother, Lola, left with their two babies to work in the mountains while my grandfather, Lolo, stayed behind and took care of the older kids, including my mom. By the way, Lola means grandmother in Tagalog and Lolo means grandfather. Every few months, Lolo would travel with the kids to visit Lola and the babies. And the trip they made It's something my mom remembers so vividly because it was really hard. We have to get up early 
like 4 a.m. because we need to take the bus. This wasn't a simple trip. The bus would take hours to reach the coast, where they would wait for a banka, which was a dugout canoe. We stay in the boat for at least four to five hours. At the time, my mom didn't know how to swim. There were no life vests either. You have to keep still while you are sitting down because they will get mad at you. You might outbalance the banka and it might, you might fall and capsize. Capsizing was a very real risk, and it was scary because my mom's imagination ran wild. I was looking for, for ghosts or some scary because it, it was so dark at night. After the boat ride, they had to walk for six or seven hours, alone, through the jungle. It was hard for me and for my two brothers, who are still small, to walk in a very dark, dark place. We didn't even have a flashlight, only the moonlight. My father is an expert of navigating, even if there is no trail. I sometimes see him uh, looking at the, the vegetations, the trees, the forms of the mountains, the forms of the hills. They walked on fallen trees, branches, and bamboo with only rubber slippers on. We passed by the swamp where our uh, legs are buried. Sometimes it's knee-deep, sometimes it's waist-deep. So my father has to pull us out from the mud. Sometimes my father would, would tell me, step on my footsteps after me. So that's what I did. Because it means that when he steps on it, it's already safe. So reality check. This was in the 1960s in the rural Philippines. My mom and Lolo were doing all this without any outdoor gear. No hiking shoes, no compass, no map. We only pack two sets of clothes. We don't have food or snacks to pack up. What about water? No. How did no. you, how did you? We don't have bottled water before. How did you drink water? We didn't, we did not until we reached the house. You mean it would take a whole day? Yeah. Dang. Yeah. So. Did anyone cry at any point? No. We cannot even complain. My mom had shared this story with me a handful of times, but until now, I had never connected with it very strongly. Her stories were like photos in a dusty old album. They felt so distant. But now, lost and alone in the desert, the story felt much more relatable. The fears my mom had felt as a nine-year-old hiking through the jungle at night 
they weren't that different than the fears I was feeling. Navigating in the dark wasn't easy for her and Lolo either. As I thought about everything she had been through, my own situation started to feel less dire. I had more than enough to survive a night. I carried plenty of water and snacks. I had a jacket for extra warmth. Worst case scenario, I'd have to sleep outside without a tent, which is not life-threatening. It would just be uncomfortable, an inconvenience. At that moment, I felt a bit ashamed. Not just about me getting lost in the desert, I felt shame in my quarter-life crisis. Even though I was jobless, I had somewhere to go. My parents welcomed me home. I was still on their health insurance. I had my own car. Having a job was important, but I didn't need to figure out all my career or life goals right away. As I sat at the bottom of the canyon in the moonlight, thinking all these things, I felt myself softening. It was still dark, and I still didn't know how to get back to the campground. But I wasn't so scared anymore, and my heart had calmed. Finally, I could think and see more clearly. And once my mind was clearer, I realized I could handle this. I had the skills to find a way out of this mess. I thought back to my mom's story. Lolo was able to figure out the way without a map or a compass. He just needed to read his surroundings using the moonlight, his memory, and his own knowledge. I felt that if he could do it, I could somehow pull this off. And I began to trust that I was going to be all right. I took a deep breath, closed my eyes, and retraced my steps in my mind, scanning my memory. Then I remembered seeing the family portrait of Joshua Trees. If I could locate them, then I'd be able to find that one trail that first connected me to the bottom of this canyon. It wasn't easy. There were so many Joshua trees. I encountered more dead ends. But I could feel that I was getting closer. That's what my gut was telling me. And then finally, I found them. The family of Joshua trees. A crowded bunch in the blue shadow. From there, I found the trail and... I made it to the top. Wow. I was back at the viewpoint where I could see the nature trail. Okay, now it's time to go to the outside. I made it back to the campground just fine. There were no animal attacks, no injuries. No need to sleep outside without a tent. Remembering my mom's story had calmed me down enough that I was able to think clearly and find my way. But more importantly, 
I learned something meaningful that night in the desert. I learned how important family stories can be when you're trying to move through this world. Since that trip, I've turned to my mother's stories over and over again. Stories like why we migrated to another country. Stories about eating and sharing what little food was available. And how it was hard to find a job in the Philippines. These stories are humbling. And I've come to learn that they offer me solace in my own life. When we go through tough times, it's easy to get overwhelmed. And remembering that my family members went through their own hardships and were able to navigate them, it makes everything less daunting. Whatever I'm facing, if I tap into their stories, their memories, I stop feeling so alone. And often, that's all you need to find your way in the world. You just heard Moonlight from the podcast Out There. That story was by Stephanie Aguilar. Editing and sound design by Willow Belden. Music includes selections from Mark Mirza and Blue Dot Sessions. Subscribe to Out There wherever you listen to podcasts and find out more at outtherepodcast.com. Tune in next week for a new episode of Nocturne.